0: In the words and the the narrative arc of scriptures that we then are immersed in the Word of God which the Reformers and we believe has the power to transform lives it's it's God's Word think of in Hebrews you know it's able to pierce even into bone and marrow for the purposes of instruction and uh, edification
1: We take a deeper look at the church calendar and the lectionary as we continue with Anglicanism 101 Why We Do What We Do. Hello and welcome to the Transforming Lives Together podcast. Whether we think about it or not, our lives are ordered around the days, weeks, and months that make up our calendar. It's one of the ways in which we understand and interact with time. Unfortunately for many of us, worship of the triune God is just one item among many that fill our calendars. This could be why Thomas Cramner saw the importance of developing a church calendar as part of the prayer book so that we would have a guide to help order our days around the life of Christ and therefore better inhabit the story of our faith. For these next two episodes, it will help if you have a copy of the 2019 Book of Common Prayer, as Father Tebow will be pointing out quite a bit in the lectionary and calendar. If you do not have the prayer book, you can purchase a physical copy or download a digital copy from AnglicanChurch.net. Before we turn it over to Father Tebow, we want to say thank you for your time as you tune in each week. We pray you are blessed and encouraged by the content of this podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe to stay up to date with the latest episodes. And if you have enjoyed what you're hearing from this podcast, please help us out by leaving a five-star rating and review. Your positive feedback will help us reach more people with this podcast. And now, here is Father Thiebaud with the first part of the third of Anglicanism 101, Why We Do What We Do.
0: Let us pray ineffable creator who from the treasures of your wisdom have established three hierarchies of angels have arrayed them in marvelous order above the fiery heavens and have marshaled the regions of the universe with such artful skill you are proclaimed the true font of light and wisdom and the primal origin raised high beyond all things pour forth the ray of your brightness into the darkened places of our minds disperse from our souls the twofold darkness into which we were born, sin and ignorance. You make eloquent the tongues of infants, refine our speech and pour forth upon our lips the goodness of Your blessing. Grant to us keenness of mind, capacity to remember, skill in learning, subtlety to interpret, and eloquence in speech. May You guide the beginning of our work, direct its progress and bring it to completion. You who are true God and true man, who live and reign, world without end. Amen. Alright. So tonight is our final lesson in this three-part mini-series. Uh, tonight we're going to do, be a little bit more practical than we have been. We're going to look in the prayer book and we're going to go through much more of it and so it'll be a little bit more tactile you'll get to hold something in your hands and we'll look at how to implement the some of the different parts of the prayer book we're not going to get into all of the pastoral services or the episcopal services uh, we covered that some of that the first night when we covered the the regular worship service uh, but some of the other ones would we need more time and I really want to make sure that we have the opportunity to, to get into the things that you can apply to your own spiritual formation. So tonight we're going to look at uh, the daily offices. We're going to look at parts of uh, elements of the daily offices, so that you can apply those to your life. Before we do that, though, I want to sort of recap where we've been quickly. Now, if you recall, we began with the analogy from the Don Treader, the ship there being an image of the church. Remember that we saw the ship that was on the voyage to Aslan's country and we met the people that were on it on the way and we said that there was a picture there for us to think about what the church is, that the church and her worship, her liturgy are a means for us to be carried along in our own spiritual formation toward Aslan's country or heaven or the presence of God. Right? And we saw two different types of characters. We saw Eustace, who was on a conversion and sanctification story. And we also met Repacheep, who was a virtuous, faithful servant of Aslan, who was given the opportunity to fulfill mission on the way to Aslan's country. So we saw two different people able to work out their salvation with fear and trembling on the Dawn Treader, on the voyage. And so we want to. Remember that the church and her liturgy are taking us along on that. It's concerned with our salvation and our working it out, what we might call sanctification, and helping us become a holy people. Right? Now, as Anglicans, we conceive of this spirituality in a, in a particular way, centered around word and sacrament. Right? Word is the, we saw it was the first part of the liturgy that concerns the reading of the Scriptures, uh, some of the prayers that we do, and all of that leading up to the sacrament of the Eucharist, which follows the passing of the peace. And for Anglicans, these two word and sacrament form the warp and the woof of our spirituality. right? So we sort of work that out. And as such, we are consider ourselves to be people of two books. The Bible, Scripture first. And then, the prayer book. And in fact, the prayer book, we'll see, has a lot to say about Scripture. In large part, it exists to help us get into Scripture. So, we focus ourselves around Word and sacrament. We are a people of two books. Scripture and the prayer book. And both of these things are meant to recalibrate our hearts by participating in what we call the divine liturgy Or think of heavenly worship. Think of the book of Revelation, right? Father Ward mentioned in a sermon not too long ago that the book of Revelation is a liturgical book. And he's right. As we go through the book of Revelation, we see worship breaking in. And we see the pattern of worship in the heavenlies. And so the divine liturgy which we participate in, the heavenly worship that we share in here, uh, is meant to sort of recalibrate or attune our hearts to that worship. It's to get us back to the way things are meant to be because our prayer is your will be done on in heaven as it is or on earth as it is in heaven. And part of how we work that out in our own lives is by entering into the divine liturgy and then having our hearts attuned to what's going on in heaven. So that's some of what we're we're doing in this our worship together but also in our daily services either in small groups or in our own lives. It's to recalibrate our hearts so that we can say no to the city of man and yes to the city of God. And those two cities are distinguished by their loves. The city of man is the city that loves the self. The city of God is the city that loves God. And as such, they're aimed at separate things. And so the divine liturgy, the liturgy that we share in, is designed to aim our hearts towards God, towards our purpose, which we discussed last week was union with Christ, union with God. This presumes two things about man and our spiritual formation. If you recall, we've covered these. I'm not going to go over them in depth. But if you recall, lex orandi, lex credendi, right? The law of prayer, the law of. Uh, worship that, or, or excuse me, Lex orandi that can be translated as worship or prayer, and it can be translated as law or rule. But so the, the rule of worship is the rule of faith. The idea is that the prayers that we say, the worship that we do, informs our theology. When we come together and we worship the triune God, we learn that we worship a triune God, right? When we say the creed together. When we pray to God the Father, to God the Son, and to God the Holy Spirit. And that's how most of our colics close, was, is with some affirmation of the Trinity. We learn that that's who our God is, who we worship, right? And so then there's that outworking then where our, our worship itself becomes what we, say, we call catechetical. It becomes instructive. And it teaches us the faith. So as we pray so we so we believe. That's basically lex orandi lex credendi. And it also then assumes that we are worshipping creatures, that we are habitual creatures, creatures of habit. That we we get these things deep down into us, they become habits, these practices and rituals that we we participate in, they become habits in our lives and those habits in turn train our hearts to to seek out those ultimate things. And so, in entering into the worship together, aimed at the triune God, we learn to love Him and to seek after Him and serve Him. Which is why we're also sent out with the admonition to love and serve the Lord. Right, That's how we are sent out from this place. Last week, if you'll recall, we looked at the liturgical calendar. We talked about how living out the liturgical calendar patterns our lives after the life of Jesus Christ, and enables us to enter into our story, the story of the people of God. Right, Doing this, patterning our lives after the life of Christ, enables us to sort of enter into our story deeper and in a more formative way. And so we talked about the Shema in this context, right? Hero Israel, the Lord your God is one. And then the command to love and worship only Him. But then we, we found that there was the liturgical command to teach your children what the Lord has done for you as you're going out, as you're coming in, as you sit, as you lie, as you do all the, the aspects of your day. Strap them to your forehead. Put them on your doorpost. Right, It's supposed to frame our lives. Teaching our kids these things. Remembering what God has done for us. Who we are and how we are to act is meant to be the framework for our entire lives. And it takes on that liturgical shape. So, remembering all of that, I want us then to move into the prayer book. We're going to look more uh, directly at the prayer book. So, Cranmer, when Cranmer was designing the prayer book, if you recall, Thomas Cranmer was the chief Anglican reformer. He was the Archbishop of Canterbury at the time of the English Reformation. Uh, So he was sort of out in front doing most of the Reformation things. We think he wrote basically all of the first prayer book. He probably had some help from other people who were helping to pull together some resources for him. But he was the primary crafter of it. Now he wrote the preface for it. He also did the follow-up in 1552 Anyway, so one of the the key things that he was doing there is a lot of what we've been talking about. Uh, So he began with communion service or our worship together, and then he moved to the daily offices. And those offices are meant to shape our lives. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but what I want us to keep in mind is that Cranmer was very intentional when he was designing the prayer book or to be formational for our lives, to, to be have that spiritual formation to shape us into the image and likeness of Christ, to help us be holier, uh, to be well better Christians essentially, to, to grow in the image and likeness of Christ. That was the driving force behind the design of the prayer book. We'll walk through that a little bit. And, I, and he wasn't thinking of the Shema, I don't think. I have not seen any place where he's he's talked about that. But I think the imagery of doing it as you go out and as you come in and as you sit and all those motions of the day and of our lives. I think Cranmer was was working uh, with some of that there. So before we get to the actual daily office though, I want us to look at some of the parts of the office and some of the things that, that will form our use of the office. So we'll begin with with the lectionary, which is part and parcel of the liturgical calendar. So, the liturgical calendar, if you recall, is the calendar that the church keeps that follows essentially the life of Christ. It begins with the first Sunday of Advent, which is a preparatory season to prepare for, well, actually, it's to prepare for the second coming, which is what we remember chiefly through Advent. Uh, but then we remember and celebrate Christ's first Advent on Christmas, looking even as we look forward to His second coming. And then we move from that to Epiphany. And then the season after Epiphany, which is ordinary time. And then we move into Lent, which is another preparatory season. This time, preparing our hearts in repentance for the work Christ does for us on the cross. And we remember that in Holy Week. And then we celebrate the resurrection on Easter Sunday. And then... Forty days later, we celebrate ascension. Ten days after that, we have Pentecost, and then we're back into ordinary time and we go around again. And there remember we talked about there were six principal feasts that we celebrate that highlight important events in the life of Christ. And there are also red letter days that celebrate other events in the life of Christ, but also events in the life of the church. So like All Saints or something like that, where we remember. That we are part of the body of Christ. So we've got that pattern. Well, part of how we enter into that and we celebrate that and remember that is through the lectionary. The lectionary is... A col- it's not the collection. It's the, as- the assigned readings for given days, given weeks, and given feasts. And in fact, we can argue that the calendar and the lectionary, not only do they go together so that they're part and parcel for one another and that you can't really do one without the other, but it could also be argued, and in part because Cranmer basically said as much, that one of the major inspirations of Cranmer's reforms in the prayer book was to immerse us more deeply in Scripture. So, in our Sunday worship, we read four lessons every Sunday. right? We do the Old Testament, the Psalm, the Epistle, and the Gospel. Up until that point, there wasn't that much explicitly read. But not only that, large portions of that service are basically taken right out of Scripture. Many of the prayers that we say, the calls and the responses. Think of the words of institution in, the, in our Eucharistic worship. You have the the, ark, the salvation ark, which is a summary of Scripture. The whole thing is meant to immerse us in the words and the, the narrative arc of Scripture so that we then are immersed in the Word of God, which the Reformers and we believe has the power to transform lives. It's, it's God's Word. Think of in Hebrews. You know, it's able to pierce even into bone and marrow for the purposes of instruction and uh, edification. right? I'm paraphrasing there. It it says more than that, but but you get the point. And so that was to be front and center. And then in, in the other offices that we'll see, the daily offices, we have the assignment of more Scripture which is to be read. And more quotations and more references and allusions to Scripture so that it's continually washing over us. As we go through the motions of our life. In every moment that we celebrate through the prayer book, which is basically all of them, Scripture is being poured over us. So that our lives then begin to conform to it. To the story that's being told there. To the life of Christ. Through His words. And then in the sacrament, then we receive the grace of Christ to live that out. So it's word and sacrament. So we get all of this Scripture, right? But... Cramer makes sure that we do, that we have the creeds in front of us as well. And the significance of that is that the creeds are what we call the rule of faith. The creeds are the lens by which we read scripture. They are taken out of scripture, but they are then given to the saints. They're handed down to us so that we know what the meaning of scripture is. So that when we see Jesus' baptism, for instance, where you have God speak from heaven and you have the dove descend and alight on the Son who's coming up out of the water, that can be read a lot of different ways. And we take it for granted because we know the creeds. So we take it for granted that that is the Trinity. We see Father, Son, Holy Spirit when we see that. But heretics have read that too. They've justified their use of of that story too, to justify their own heretical ideas. So like, Jesus was adopted at that moment, for instance, because the, Son, the Holy Spirit descends upon Him and at that moment He is anointed as the Son of God. He wasn't born that way. That's just one way it's been read. But because we have the creeds, and we say those creeds every Sunday and every day in the daily office, then we are... Trained to see that as the Trinity. And so we are brought into Orthodox reading of the Scriptures by having that handed down to us. Rule means like standard, right? It is a standard for our faith. And so when we're given that in the daily offices, when we're given that in our baptism, then when we come to Scripture, we learn how to properly read Scripture. Does that make sense? And so, Cramer gives us both. He gives us—he just washes us over with the scriptures, but then he also helps us to understand what's before us. And this was some of his grand design, as it were. So let's uh, let's look at the lectionary. If you pull out your red prayer books uh, in front of you, we're going to turn to page seven hundred and sixteen, which is all the way towards the back. And I commend to you. If you have your own prayer book at home, read some of the introductions into these various sections. Read the preface into this prayer book. It begins on page 2. Archbishop Foley and Archbishop Bob Duncan wrote that together, explaining some of why they did what they did and the different moves that they make. It's, It's very instructive and interesting. They go through a lot of the history in a very condensed form, a lot of history of the prayer book in a very condensed form and then tell you sort of this is this is how we got where we are so you might find that instructive it's only three pages after the lectionary there are uh, what we call the foundational elements is what they name it uh, so there you'll find cramer's prefaces he wrote two prefaces one to the 49 prayer book and one to the one to the 1549 prayer book and one to the 1552 prayer book those are both there the 39 articles are there the Jerusalem decoration Uh, declaration which was in 2008 at the first GAFCON meeting. That's back there. Those are good things to read to get to know some of the history and the context. We are here on 716-717. Here uh, you see Sunday, Holy Day, and Commemoration Lectionary. The primary part of this is the Sunday Lectionary, which is different than the Daily Office. So in the Sunday lectionary is split up into a three-year cycle. Year A, year B, year C. The first day of any year is Advent 1. The first Sunday of Advent. So this past December, uh, whatever it was when we started Advent 1, we began year A. So we are in year A presently when we get to Christ the King Sunday which is the last Sunday of the year that'll be the final day and then advent 2 next year or actually it's advent advent 1 which will be in 2020 we'll move to year B and then to year C in each year and actually one of the, the nice things about this prayer book versus the 79 in the 79 it was you had all of year A and then you had all of year B, and then you had all of year C. And that was great for the year that you were in, but if you wanted to compare the readings for, for any given year, it was, you did a lot of page flipping. In this book, they've put them all into columns. And so you can see in, for instance, the first Sunday in Advent, there on 7.17, you can see the readings for year A, year B, and year C. And you can see what the differences are for each one of those. And on down it goes through the year. Uh, Note that in... Well, you won't be able to note that here. Let me tell you. One of the complaints about the lectionary that we used in the 79, uh, and there were actually two different lectionaries. There was the common lectionary, which is what we tended to use here before we switched to this lectionary. And then there was the revised common lectionary. The common lectionary was a little bit better than the... Actually, the revised common lectionary tended to be a little bit fuller. So what we had happen with the 79 liturgical renewal, some of the harder parts of Scripture were omitted. And so you didn't get the full counsel of God. You didn't get those parts of the Scriptures that stung a little bit. It might have made you confront some of your sin and shortcomings. Those things tended to be omitted. In the ACNA lectionary, those have all been put back in. You may have noticed that our readings have gotten a little bit longer since Advent. That's because the lectionary has put all the parts back in. So we've gone back to an older way of doing it, not skipping the parts that we don't want to hear. So this goes through the whole calendar, the 53 weeks, of the calendar, and actually there are more more Sundays there because of how the Sundays after Easter work. But that's complicated, um, and we don't need to get into that. You'll see uh, if you go through it. You'll see that they've also highlighted certain of the the red letter days and the the principal feasts. So you have like the circumcision and holy name of our Lord Jesus Christ on January 1. Uh, You have Epiphany on January 6. Some of those various things. But if you keep going uh, to page 730, you find uh, a list of holy days there. These are mostly red letter days. Saints days. So you see there at the top you have the Feast of St. Andrew. Uh, St. Thomas, St. Stephen, and it keeps wrapping around. And so you can follow, follow these feasts as we go through the year. These usually don't land on a Sunday. They, they usually land on a different day. So last week when we talked about implementing some of the feasts into your, your daily life, this is how you can figure out what some of those, those feasts are, what their dates are, uh, and also the Scripture readings that are assigned for each one of them. Usually, what they do with those the lectionary readings for a given Saint's Day is they look at that saint and see what is a prominent element or theme of their life. You know, were they a missionary? Were were they a teacher? Did, were they a martyr? Something like that. Where did they serve? And then they pick scripture readings that sort of pull that out a little bit, so that they are instructive and also a An example to us. You have on page 733 uh, propers for various occasions. Uh, You can find the propers in the prayer book. uh, So you have... uh, Well, we'll get to that actually. I'm not going to skip ahead. We'll get to that. On page 734, there is the introduction to the daily office lectionary. This is the lectionary that you will use for the daily offices. When Kramer first designed it, what he wanted to do was to take you through the fullness of Scripture, through the full counsel of God in one year. That's a lot of Scripture reading in one year for each day to get through it. So now we have the option to do a two-year cycle. You can do it in a one-year cycle if you have the time and you feel Convicted to do that, you can do it in one year, and the lectionary is set up for that. Uh, But it's also set up so that you could break it into two years, which is how we had it in the 79 prayer book before. Note also, too, in the the three-year Sunday lectionary, as well as in the daily office, you don't get every verse, every chapter. And that's especially true in the Sunday lectionary. Uh, you just there aren't enough Sundays in a three-year cycle to get through every book of the Bible, uh, and even in the daily lectionary, they they skip parts. So what they'll do is they'll give you, say, in some of the smaller books, like a book, the Book of Ruth. We'll get maybe one or two chapters from the Book of Ruth that give us the the punchline, as it were, for the book. What is the main thing to take away from this, and then we're exposed to the Book of Ruth, uh, but we're just not immersed in it the same way. So you might want to do some supplemental things, um, but you get every book, at least part of it, so that you get a sense of what that particular book is about, and you get like the really the more important books. That I don't is that the way I want to say it. Uh, the the church has emphasized certain books. More than others, So like for instance, you get all of Deuteronomy and all of Exodus. You don't get all of Leviticus. You get the highlights of Leviticus. We don't get all of Numbers. We get the highlights of Numbers. Now we get all of Genesis though. We get all of Exodus and then we get all of Deuteronomy at the end. Are Leviticus and Numbers not important? No. There are more important things there and so the church... In her wisdom, has said, "Okay, let's make sure people get like Yom Kippur, and they understand what that is, and we'll we'll leave them to to read the rest on their own." So seven hundred thirty-five, uh, it's pretty easy to follow. Well, that's the the psalm there. So seven thirty-eight, you have January, right, and then it. Enumerates the various days. On the far left column, so you have the the far left column, you have the dates, Uh, and then in italics in that same column, you have different feast days. So on the sixth, you have Epiphany. On the first, circumcision and name. On the eighteenth, confession of Peter. On the twenty-fifth, conversion of Paul. And so in those, like on for the conversion of Paul. We take a break from Genesis and we get Acts. Well, that's the only one that changes, but some, some of these you, you get more change. So you've got two pages of January there. And after on the, the left-hand side, on page 738, you have following January, uh, in parentheses, you have one. And on page 739, you have January, parentheses, two. If you are going to do the one-year cycle, you make sure to read both morning prayer and evening prayer in the same day. And that's how you get the one-year cycle. If you're going to do the two-year cycle, you read morning prayer the first year, the readings assigned for morning prayer the first year, and then the readings assigned for evening prayer the second year. So. If I were going to be doing the two-year cycle, if I were going to do morning prayer on January 1st, I would read Genesis 1, I would read John one, chapter 1, 1 through 28, and Psalm 1 and 2. And then the next day I would read, well, that's if I were doing the two year. And then in the evening, I would do Psalm 3 and 4, I would do Galatians 1, and I would do Luke 2, 8 through 21. If I were going to do the two year cycle, then I would just read Genesis 1, John 1, 1 through 28, and Psalm 1 through 2. Does that make sense? Okay. To the Psalter, you'll see there on, the, well, we'll get to the Psalter in a minute. And then it goes through the full year January, February, March. April and uh between March and April you have special readings assigned for Monday Thursday through Easter day Monday Thursday is the the Thursday before Easter so the Thursday in Holy Week and then you also have uh on 7:45 you have readings for Ascension and Pentecost So those would those readings would change, and the reason that they have them set aside is because the Easter changes every year, right? So if Easter changes every year, then Maundy Thursday changes every year. So you have to adjust the lectionary accordingly. You just take out the readings for those days. You just like skip them, do the or replace them, and don't don't worry about going back. You'll get them another year. Uh, and then April. May, June, July, August. Thought there was another. No. Okay. So that's the lectionary. How might you incorporate it in your own life? Well, use it daily. Get into the habit of reading the scriptures according to the lectionary each day, would be one way to do it. Uh, we also talked about using it. Or getting into the the calendar and shaping your life around the the church calendar. Well, don't just shape your life around the calendar, but use the lectionary as part of that. So, for instance, if you want to say celebrate St. Nicholas Day, which is on December 6th, then don't just do some of the, the fun things that you could do, like putting toys or gifts or something in a kid's shoe. Do that. Make that part of it. Have a big feast. But at some point in the day, come together as a family and read the lectionary readings for that day. And think about who who St. Nicholas was, his life, and the, the readings and how all that points you towards Jesus and how you can be a better disciple based on his example and the lectionary readings for the day.
1: You have been listening to the Transforming Lives Together podcast, a ministry of St. Bartholomew's Anglican Church in Tonawanda, New York. To learn more about our church, please visit stbartston.org. Again, that's stbartston.org. You can also connect with St. Bartholomew's on Facebook and Instagram through the handle at St. Bart's Anglican Church. And you can also connect with this podcast on Facebook and Instagram through Transforming Lives Together Cast. We hope you will tune in next time as we continue our series, Anglicanism 101 Why We Do What We Do. Until then, we leave you with this verse from Psalm 27. One thing I have asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to meditate in His temple. God bless.